I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The advent of induced pluripotent stem cells, cells that can be coaxed into becoming virtually any type of cell within the body, promised to usher in a new era of regenerative medicine and improved drug discovery. In practice, though, the ability to use these cells to develop desired cell types have proved challenging to do in a predictable way and at scale. BitBio has developed a synthetic biology platform that it says allows it to industrialize this process and produce desired cells in a consistent manner. We spoke to Mark Cotter, founder and CEO of BitBio, about the company's platform technology, its efforts to develop cell therapies, and its growing offering of precision reprogrammed human cells for drug development. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Danny, for having me. We're going to talk about cell therapies, BitBio, and how it's addressing fundamental challenges to harnessing the potential of cell therapies to treat various conditions. There has long been a lot of excitement about the potential of these therapies to bring about an era of regenerative medicine. Like a lot of other modalities, though, the excitement and expectations have outpaced the reality. Where do you think we are with regards to the evolution of cell therapies today? I mean, I think you hit the sore spot uh, of cell therapies or regenerative medicine. We've been um, doing research on human pluripotent stem cells now for 25 plus years. And unlike other modalities, um, where the average, I think, from discovery to treatment is 70, 18 years, um, at 25 years, uh, we're really not uh, close to a product in the clinic. Maybe it has to do with the fact that cells are much more complex. If you think uh, uh, about the other therapeutic modalities that we've been developing, small molecules, biologics, essentially dead molecules, um, and cells are living things. Um, and of course, um, that makes things a lot more difficult. At the same time, because they're living, they've got so much more potency. I mean, the cell knows what it needs to do in the right context. Uh, and we've seen how we can program these. But I think ultimately, there have been some really exciting developments apart from the autologous CAR-T cell therapies that are already out there um, in the iPC-derived cell space, for example, the exciting data that Vertex sh shared around um, the use case of pancreatic islets um, to treat diabetes, or recently the persistency data uh, that uh, Blue Rock, uh, a Bayer company, uh, demonstrated around uh, the use of dopaminergic neurons in the context of Parkinson's disease. So I think we're getting there. But still, there are a few challenges ahead. Well, where do you think the 
biggest opportunities will ultimately be for cell therapies? I think any severe condition can be impacted by cell therapy or regenerative medicine. So pick a disease. Let's say, for example, severe liver conditions. There's really not much we can do at the moment um, in the acute setting. And these attract high mortality rates. Or think about neurological conditions, uh, such as Parkinson's or other conditions. The fundamental pathology across severe conditions or severe diseases means that there's loss of cells. And the fundamental principle or tenant of regenerative medicine that we want to restore these cells. So I think every part of medicine can be impacted. You're not only a a stem cell biologist, but a neurosurgeon. How did your work lead to what you're doing at BitBio today? So, yes, uh, my special interest as a neurosurgeon uh, is bound cord injuries. uh, And this is, of course, a life-changing event. Um, When we receive patients, you know, from one second to the next, more or less, um, they lose the ability to walk, um, the ability to use their hands in high sort of level injuries. And there's not much we can do. Modern neurosurgery can take some screws and some rods to put the spine together, but there's not much we can do to to promote functional recovery. And what is clear that um, in these very severe injuries, traditional drugs like small molecules or biologics won't make a difference. And that's really why I, um, at the very early stage of my career, entered this idea of regenerative medicine, did my PhD and uh, and set up a lab um, that tries to um, really develop novel treatment modalities for spinal cord injury. And on that journey, <clears throat> I was very lucky that um, um, this new wave of stem cell biology just took off and some astounding sort of really world-changing findings were made, thinking about Shine Yamanaka, who demonstrated that you can program pluripotent stem cells from skin cells, probably any other cell type using transcription factors. And in the middle of these this fundamental change Um, this paradigm shift, um, I was starting my lab. I learned how difficult it is to control pluripotent stem cells and make them do what you want them to do, i.e. create specific cell types. I learned and was inspired by Tom Sudov and Maris Wernick um, to try out a new paradigm, which bolts onto the paradigm of uh, Shinya Yamanaka. It's now called cell programming, so the instruction of cell fate with transcription factors. And uh, we learned that uh, this paradigm can overcome the most significant bottlenecks um, that has been holding back the entire field. In the academic lab, we found an approach um, that can particularly be useful to industrialize the manufacture of, of human cells. And uh, um, this then led to a spin-out, which is BitBio, but also to other spin-outs. One of them is uh, a cultured meat company called Meatable and Bio. So it was that sort of original inspiration and the frustration around, you know, not being able to do something for patients that drove me um, down this path of recovery and, uh, and, and um, ultimately led me 
to to set up BitBio. What are the hurdles that need to be overcome to realize the potential of these therapies? At the core of it, it's really a manufacturing issue. Um, how do you turn pluripotent stem cells, which, by the way, um, grow like weed, um, if the conditions are right, into the specialized cells that you need for your therapy? So in the context of liver uh, uh, diseases, you want to have liver cells. In the context uh, of Parkinson's, you need dopaminergic neurons. In the context of um, diabetes, you want pancreatic islet cells. And that transition from a pluripotent stem cell to um, these specialized cell types can be achieved by the traditional paradigm, which is called directed differentiation, or by this new paradigm, which is called cell programming. The, the scientific community started off with directed differentiation, and that's modeled on development. So in this context, you can imagine a stem cell at the top of uh, the mountain, the origin of, of any organism rolling down um, valleys and, um, and hitting branch points where it makes sulfate choices. Um, and uh, we've learned over the last um, years that these are uh, based on stochastic principles. So literally, the cells roll the dice. And that's important because if you think about um, development, you need to ensure that all the cells are present uh, in, in an embryo at the right moment in time. Um, and so cells are created um, at particular moment, um, at particular, particular locations, and then um, there's also waves of um, destruction uh, during embryogenesis. In a manufacturing paradigm, if you have long protocols, and some of these protocols are you know, nearly six months, um, with multiple steps that are stochastic, um, you run into issues. You essentially can't scale. Um, and so that was the, 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 the problem statement. Cells that are immature, that are embryonic of nature, um, that are inconsistent in terms uh, of uh, being able to reproduce uh, this process and difficult to scale. That's really the bottleneck. And um, and the programming approach does actually uh, create a solution here. Well, uh, explain that. What what is the potential to industrialize this process and produce a product that's both scalable and predictable? So you need to get away from long timelines and stochastic events. Um, ideally, if you have a single step process uh, that is deterministic, um, that would be. The, the 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 optimal uh, um, you know outcome of course the view the general view is that in biology that's not possible you know people talk about fuzzy logic of biology uh, about um, the difficult to predict um, especially complex systems such as cells um, but uh, what we discovered in in the lab was that there actually is a layer um, that operates in a deterministic way um, in, in cells, in human cells uh, and in other cells. Um, and this is the layer of information or the layer of gene expression. So let me dig into this a little bit. Instead of looking at a cell um, 
from the traditional standpoint as you know um, what are the components parts you know what do these component parts to how did they get there um, the, we need to shift to a new paradigm in which we realize that a code script is at the center of biology. And by the way, this is a quote um, from Sidney Brenner, um, who got the Nobel Prize for um, program cell death. And what does that mean? Essentially, the core of a cell is the nucleus, and that's a bit like a hard drive. It stores genetic information, which by the way, is a binary code uh, in the DNA. And this information contains genes, and these genes obviously interact with each other, and they create programs. Um, we call them gene regulatory networks. Now, this information layer translates into physical reality whenever you turn on a gene. It's information, mRNA, that gets translated into protein. The, the, these are the component parts, the physical block uh, parts that create cells, and of course they create lipids. So from a first principle perspective, if information translates into physical reality and genes are driving this, then you should be able to program cells similar to how you would program computers. And that's really the premise um, that um, you know, has been demonstrated by the Nobel Prize uh, of Shinya Yamanaka. He said, essentially, take these particular four uh, fa Yamanaka factors, and if you activate this, your cell is going to turn from whatever it is back to a pluripotent stem cell. Now, it turns out that every cell in the body has their own transcription factor combination, their own zip code. And so if you know the zip code, and if you have a way of deterministically activating these genes, which is what we found in the lab, it turns out you can create a manufacturing paradigm that is deterministic. That means every batch is exactly the same. The cells have functionality that is encoded in these transcription factors. The consistency can be put up, put uh, can be sort of as high nearly as a physical product that you that you sort of produce um, in the real world. Um, like think about a, a, like a computer chip or so. So this paradigm shift away from traditional biology, which is sort of culturing cells and and, and coaxing them with extracellular stimulus to um, hard coding information into the genome and then switching it on to, on to over, override the, the existing program allows you to pivot biology into a programming or an, an engineering paradigm. And that's what sort of really is the basis of BitBio. Well, one of the challenges with iPS cells has been to get them to transform into any desired cell type. This is, I take it, where BitBio has been able to solve the challenge? Exactly. So this programming approach means that it's no longer a multi-step process that takes um, months and, um, and there are no stochastic branch points. With this programming approach, we can essentially start, jumpstart 
a new cell type program in one go. Uh, and, and that sort of makes things much simpler. Single-step protocols that are deterministic, of course, that's much easier to scale. And what we found is we can go from small scale to large scale in, in 2D without changing the property of the, uh, of the cells or without losing any fidelity in the process. And recently, we also made the transition into 3D, and we didn't see that that makes any difference either to the properties of the cells or um, the, the consistency of the cultures. Um, and by the way, our, our licensee company, Meetable, uses the same approach for cultured meat, and they're driving into 500 liter tanks at the moment, and they haven't seen any difference either in terms of the fidelity of the process. So unlike traditional cell culture, which is very difficult to scale, and in, in fact, in the pluripotent stem cell differentiation process, we haven't seen any industrial scale yet, this programming approach doesn't seem to have that barrier, and you can just scale it um, from small scale all the way to large scale 3D. MidBio has what it calls the Optiox platform. What does this technology do, and how does it work? So that's exactly the thing that you need to make it deterministic. So if you think about creating new cells by switching on genes, it makes sense that you have to be able to control th that sort of process, that you have to be, the more you control the way that you activate the genes, th the more precise the process will be and the closer you get to something that is deterministic. Now, it turns out that um, stem cells, human stem cells, um, have, have the capability of detecting um, when the wrong genes are switched on or when, when genes are switched on that don't belong to the cell state that they're in. And, and, and they can actively shut them down. This is called gene silencing. So really to get there, we had to find a way of overcoming uh, the, these, um, the immune system of a cell, so to speak, this gene silencing process. And what we found is that um, we can tap into what's called genomic safe harbor sites. So these are specialized regions in the genome uh, of human cells, but also of you know, other species um, that are there. And when you, when you edit cells in these regions, it keeps the cells safe. It doesn't interfere with the physiology, but at the same time, it also keeps the program safe. If you switch it on, it doesn't get silenced. So the use of these genomic safe herbicides allows you to transition into this deterministic paradigm and that creates all this magic you know it's like a switch i don't know whether you've ever seen these programming protocols we have some videos also on our website and in front of your eyes within days stem cell cultures turn into pure cultures of neurons of microglia of any other cell type that we've generated so far it's, it's really incredible but Bio is also producing what it calls IO cells for research and has a number of IO disease model cells for a range of neurologic conditions for research use. The company is also pursuing a pipeline of cell therapies. What's the business model and where are you in your efforts? Um, so the most noble use case, obviously, 
of human cells is what we've discussed in the in the context of cell therapies or regenerative medicines. And so BitBio is pursuing this. Um, we're about um, 20, 24 months away uh, from a first in man study with our first program, which is in the liver space. We've also announced a pipeline of uh, different um, products that we're developing that is much broader than CNS. So liver is the first, it contains pancreatic islets. There are immune cell types uh, and there's also a CNS cell type. Um, and we've also announced uh, a partnership with Blue Rock Therapeutics, which is a, um, a company uh, that is um, part of the Bayer um, empire um, around um, the development of regulatory T cells, which is really exciting. So in this respect, BitBio is like a conventional new modality platform. Cells obviously are the new modality, the process that we have is quite unique because it allows us to overcome these manufacturing hurdles. And as a new modality platform, you're driving programs into the clinic, you're entering partnerships. And so we're obviously pursuing that part um, as well. Well, how, how does partnering fit into your business model? Yeah, so, so I think... Any new modality platform has a phase uh, where it partners out because developing the platform requires capital. Getting a therapeutics in the clinic requires even more capital. And you need to demonstrate breadth and depth and you need to um, leverage what you've got um, as much as you can uh, for the benefits of, of patients. So on that front, you can envisage two outcomes. Um, there's this notion that you become like a base layer, the provider of cells across the industry. So you lift up the entire industry. In most cases, however, what happens with uh, new modality platforms is that when they reach a certain stage in mature, uh, maturity, they focus on internal programs. Um, so we'll see where the journey takes us, uh, at this moment in time, we are basically focused heads uh, and keep our heads down to push our technology into the clinic to enable partners to do so as well. The unique thing with BitBio is obviously that we have this IOCell range as well, which is the, the research-grade uh, products. Your lead experimental therapy is for acute liver disease. I'm wondering why you're starting with that indication and how the cell therapy works. Sure. So from um, when you think about developing a new modality, um, there are a number of risks uh, that you need to be uh, aware of. Um, let's start with commercial risk. Um, an obvious use case for, um, for cells is immune oncology. But if you look at uh, the landscape, there's more than 200 clinical trials in the IO space. So that's pretty crowded. Um, the competition is very high. But if you then look at the regenerative medicines uh, space, there's very little going on. So the first decision that we made internally, let's focus on regenerative medicine. And then 
from there we took a risk-based approach and the biggest risk of course for a new therapeutics is even if it's perfect you've got the perfect cell therapy will it actually work in in a clinical context and to demonstrate this obviously you need a clinical trial but you can triangulate this a little bit at least by looking at what has worked with a different cell source so um has have there been studies using for example donor cells um that have demonstrated a difference and we were extremely excited um about uh, a clinical experiment um in in um patients that have acute liver failure so it was a small study using encapsulated um donor derived liver cells that completely changed the odds of survival so these are very severe conditions in in children the mortality rate is 85 to 90% um and um if you consider um liver transplants which sometimes can happen um in in the in in that very short time window uh, that uh, the, these patients have um then even then i think the the survival rates are very low now the experimental treatment that uh, we were so impressed with um entailed the transplantation of encapsulated liver cells into the peritoneal cavity so these are ectopic transplants and what happened was that 90% of the children survived half of them didn't require anything else the liver itself can has an enormous capacity to regenerate um if you survive the acute phase of liver failure and um in um 40% or so of cases um the therapeutic allowed uh, the patients to be tapered over uh, to a liver transplant now that's incredibly exciting if you can change the outcome of a, of of a disease in such a way um and so but also there are other advantages um that are hugely sort of useful if you are developing a new modality it's simple or much simpler than you know trying to match patient cells um because of the encapsulation process um so that removes um the 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 issue of uh of rejection uh, and the second thing is because in this acute phase um you only need the cells transient it's also incredibly safe um we're not thinking we don't have to think about the long term integration risks and finally there are really good biomarkers that we can use to demonstrate um that the cells have activity so we thought given all these advantages and the incredible high unmet clinical needs and the number of patients that suffer from acute liver failure um there's various indications in under that umbrella um which makes this a very attractive product also from a commercial perspective um 
based on all of that, we felt this is a great uh, thing to tackle first. Um, now, the thing that you need to solve is you need to obviously have liver cells from pluripotent stem cells. And not only any liver cell, they have to be functionally mature. So in most cases, stem cell differentiation leads to embryonic phenotypes. And embryonic cells, especially in the liver context, aren't functional enough. But the programming approach also can address this. You can literally program whether you want to have a fetal hepatocyte or whether you have a um, mature adult hepatocyte. And so when we when we saw that we can do this, when we when we found that we have an ability to manufacture mature human hepatocytes at scale, we became very excited, and that's when we embraced um, this 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 therapy. And what's the development path forward? So um, we just had a um, scientific advice meeting uh, from the regulator. W went extremely well. We now have a clear path forward um, to entering the clinic. Um, we've also made the transition from 2D to 3D. So that means it's a fully scalable product that we're developing at the onset. We're trying to avoid the trap of other cell therapies where you have something and then you find out that you can't really scale it, uh, which, um, which is, a, is a major bottleneck. And the excitement um, that we have is that we think we can lower the costs of goods uh, by two orders of magnitude. So a patient dose is expected to cost um, single-digit thousands uh, rather than the hundreds of thousands that you see at the moment uh, when you consider uh, other cell therapies. The company raised $103 million in a Series B financing in 2021. How far will existing cash take you, and, and what's the plan for raising additional capital? So um, we actually closed uh, $140 million, um, in 2021, and we haven't announced the second close. Um, so we have, for we, we have sort of been able to attract a considerable amount of capital. Um, we also have um, increasing revenues, also from the cell tools business side. But obviously, as a biotech, um, you always are raising capital, and uh, I'm very excited. Um, the investment climate has definitely changed and we're seeing traction on the financial markets. Mark Cotter, founder and CEO of BitBio. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much for having me again. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.